Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, Pardes Alum. This week, Vayigash. This week, Rabbi Leon Morris discusses Vayigash. Rabbi Leon Morris is the president of the Pardes Institute. And now, Rabbi Leon Morris. Thank you, Larry. In exploring Parashat Vayigash, I would like to delve into three ideas Uh, all of which are connected. First, the notion of how much free choice do we have, or or maybe said a bit better, how do we balance the notion of free choice with the notion that everything is in God's hands? That's the first idea. The second idea is really about uh, whether or not people can change and to what extent people can change. And the third idea is uh, what really is forgiveness. And uh, I'm going to try to tie these together. There is an inescapable dialectic in Jewish thought between God's providence on the one hand and our own free will. On the other, the Tanakh is full of examples of God determining the destiny of nature, uh, of nations, and uh, of individuals. And yet, free will is at the very core of what it means to be a human being. The dialectical nature of free will and God's providence is seen from the very beginning of the Torah. Adam and Eve freely choose to disobey God from eating the forbidden fruit. And as a result, they are punished and exiled from Gan Eden, from the garden. But that exile from the garden seems itself a necessary part of God's divine plan. The rabbis, Chazal, tried to articulate a principle that balanced in one phrase, one sentence, God's providence with the centrality of free will. Uh, Rabbi Kiva's statement uh, in Pirkei Avot, Hakol Tzafui Viharashut Netuna, everything is foreseen and free will is given, uh, kind of sums up this dialectic. While we're free to choose, what we will choose is already woven into a divine plan of which we are unaware at the time of our choosing. The Talmud had an even more complex way of summing up this dialectic. The Amar Rabbi Hanina, Hakol Bidei Shamayim Chutz Meyirat Shamayim. This is from Brachot 33b. And Rabbi Hanina said, everything is an, in the hands of heaven except for the fear of heaven. This statement might mean that while so much is determined in our lives by God's providence, our own degree of reverence expressed through the choices that we make in our lives determines outcomes that God does not fully control. Medieval Jewish philosophers explored this dialectic in greater depth, and some suggested that God has knowledge of what we will freely choose without causing those choices to come to pass. Others suggested that God knows and determines events in nature, but not the specific details of individuals' lives. While some of our greatest thinkers have found uh, ingenious ways to reconcile the concept of God's providence with our own free will, 
the dialectic remains unresolved and in constant tension. And that brings us to Parashat Vayigash. Yosef reveals himself to his brothers who had come to Egypt to find relief for the famine they were experiencing in Israel. And up to this point in their dealings with Yosef, who was the second in command to Pharaoh, the brothers had not recognized him. Joseph immediately makes clear to them that he uh, has uh, a very special and unusual perspective on all the events that have transpired in his life. And while acknowledging that he is the one whom his brothers sold into slavery, he also makes clear that his destiny was not determined by his brothers, but by God. Uh, chapter 45, uh, verse 4. Vayomer Yosef el echav geshuna elai vayigashu. Vayomer ani Yosef achichem asher machartem oti mitzrayma. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me, come forward to me. And when they came forward, he said, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into Egypt. Uh, and here we go with the perspective, uh, the unique perspective that Yosef holds. Ve'ata al te'atzvu va'al yichar be'enechem ki machartem otihena ki l'michia shelachani Elohim lifnechem. Don't be distressed or reproach yourselves because you sold me. It was to save life that God sent me ahead of you. Shalachani Elohim lifnechem. Then it goes on in verse 7, uh, Yosef says, just to make it clear, Vayishlacheni Elohim lifnechem lasum lachem she'erit ba'aretz. God has sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival on earth and to save your lives in an extraordinary deliverance. So it wasn't you who sent me here, he says to his brothers, but it was God. So Yosef asserts that his abduction and sale into slavery and all the suffering that he experienced as a result of that were part of a divine plan to save his family. In saying, God sent me ahead of you, Yosef is suggesting that while there is free will, the overarching grand narrative of our lives is not being written by us, or at least not solely. Yosef doesn't deny that his brothers sold him. What he is able to see, however, is the way in which that sale made possible a series of beneficial events that would otherwise not have been possible. This story and Yosef's perspective that we read in the parasha suggests that free will, while real, operates within a larger order and for a purpose that lies beyond ourselves. The specific phrasing of Yosef's response to his brothers challenges us to live with the awareness that while we have free will, our own lives are part of a larger narrative whose conclusion we do not yet know. Yosef offers us a religious position that doesn't deprive us of our grandeur as human beings who make free choices, 
but allows us to see that the unfolding of the choices that we make bears the mark of the divine. When Yosef reveals himself, he says, Ani Yosef Achichem Asher Machartem Oti Mitzrayma. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And there's a beautiful comment of the Sfat Emet, the late 19th century Hasidic master, uh, Rabbi Yehuda Leib of Alter. And I discovered this, uh, this was opened up to me by uh, Viva Zorenberg's brilliant book, uh, Beginning of Desire, commentary on uh, the book of Genesis, where the Sfat Emet connects Yosef's wording, Asher Mahartem Oti Mitzrayma, whom you sold uh, into Egypt, and connects that phraseology to a very famous passage in which, Moshe, in which God reminds Moshe when he is invited to receive the second set of tablets, God offers it to Moshe with the words, uh, these new tablets will replace uh, the tablets Asher Shibarta, which you smashed, to which the Midrash uh, reads it as Yishar Kochachasha Shibarta, not just which you smashed, but good for you, all power to you. May your strength be increased. Good for you that you broke the tablets. And um, the Sfat Emet connects that Asher Shibarta with Yosef saying, Asher Mechartem Oti, which you sold me. He writes, Kumoshekatuv Chazal Asher Shibarta Yishar Kochacha. Kain Biachas Yosef, Kizacha Lekolze Al Yede Hamichira. Because all of this came to, uh, to merit because of this sale. Aviva Zornberg writes about this. Cataclysms are often retrospectively seen as fortunate. The gains outweighing the losses. Joseph views his life since he was sold. He comforts his brothers with words only he can utter, testifying to an inner conviction that his fall into the pit was a fortunate moment in their shared history. I want to return to that pasuk, to that verse of Genesis chapter 45, verse 4, where Yosef reveals himself. Uh, to connect to the second idea that I'd like us to explore. When Yosef says, Ani Yosef Achichem Asher Machartemoti Mitzrayma, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold. The fact that the brothers didn't recognize him opens up for us the whole issue of whether or not people can really grow and change and to what extent? Do we really believe and internalize the sixth blessing of the Amidah in which we say about God, Ki mochel v'soleach ata, because you forgive. Um, that is, uh, we, we conclude the bracha by saying that God is hanun hamar sloach. God is gracious and great in forgiving. And it kind of raises the question, what about us? What does that mean for us and our desire to strive to walk in God's ways? 
Yosef's brother's failure to recognize him seems to point to the degree to which Yosef really changed. Okay, his clothing and his stature were different. But in reading this narrative, we might ask ourselves, didn't his brothers recognize his face, his voice, his mannerisms? The story as it's given to us in the Torah seems to want to underscore for us how much, how very much he has changed. And so it raises for us the whole question of, well, can people really change? And when we look at uh, chapter 45, verse 12, the phraseology here is noteworthy. You can see for yourselves and my brother Benjamin for himself that it is indeed I who am speaking to you. Now, commentators, the Mifarshim, pick up on the idea that Yosef is employing two senses here in asking the brothers to recognize him, seeing and hearing, right? V'hine enechem ra'ot, your ro'ot, your eyes can see. Um, and then he goes on to say at the end of the pasuk, kifi hamidaber alechem. It is my mouth that is speaking to you. So seeing and hearing. Rashi says, your eyes see my glory and that I am your brother because I am circumcised like you. And in addition to that, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you in Hebrew. So Rashi's explaining the, the, uh, the, the sense of seeing is to see my circumcision, my milah, and the sense of hearing is to hear that I'm able to speak Hebrew. Uh, Aviva Zornberg makes explicit that this is an interesting pairing of the proof of identity, circumcision, and language. And she brings out, reminds us, that the word for circumcision, milah, also means word. So I'd like to suggest that what we have here are two constancies of identity. Uh, one's mother tongue, and the sign of the circumcision, what this represents are parts of us that don't change, while almost everything else about us is subject to change. In other words, there are things about us that we can change, and there are core pieces of our identity formed by the families that we were raised by and formed by our birth that cannot change. And so Yosef is showing his brother two pieces of him that can't change, his mother tongue and the identity of the people to which he was born. And when we look at the life of Yosef and we compare his early way of relating to his brothers to what we read in this parasha, we see a development of personality that is significant. Yosef really has become a different person. He changed from that a uh, spoiled and somewhat insensitive young man to someone who can look at all the suffering that he's experienced and say, this was part of a divine plan. And he doesn't hold a grudge against his brothers. He has changed what he can. And we, the reader, are given a paradigm, a model for a change that is so thorough and so complete that his brothers and we in identifying them with them 
can hardly recognize him. In turn, much of this parasha is a long, dramatic tale of Joseph testing out how much his brothers had or had not changed. And this leads us to the third notion that I'd like to explore, which is the radical nature of Yosef's forgiveness and the radical nature of forgiveness by itself. Uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs uh, says about this moment of the story of Yosef, this is the first recorded moment in history in which one human being forgives another. Uh, it's beautiful and uh, creates, uh, Rabbi Sachs creates an argument through the text of the way in which uh, the brothers prove their repentance, uh, the way that they engage in a complete teshuva. And uh, that then precipitates this first instance of uh, forgiveness on, the, on behalf of Yosef. Uh, if we look at Genesis uh, chapter 42, beginning with verse 21, when the, uh, the brothers are ordered to go back and bring their youngest brother, Binyamin, they say to each other, Vayomru ish el achiv, aval ashemim anachnu, al achinu asher ra'inu tsarat nafsho, vihit chanano elenu, velo shamanu, al kein ba'a elenu hazot. They said to one another, Alas, we are being punished on account of our brother, because we looked on at his anguish, yet paid no heed as he pleaded with us. This is why this distress has come upon us. This is an example of harata, of the brother's admission and remorse. It's really remarkable at this point in the story. Something else many, many years later happens uh, to this family, and immediately with the threat that they may lose another brother uh, and they leave Shimon behind, uh, their reading of this situation is that this terrible turn of events is a kind of mida keneged mida sort of experience, a measure for measure experience, and that they are being punished because of what they did to their brother Yosef uh, so many years ago. Um, we have uh, the second part. Now that there has been an admission and a sense of remorse, harata, if we turn to chapter 44, verse 16, uh, we have uh, some kind of vidui, uh, some kind of confession. Uh, you'll, we'll note that the words here in uh, Tetzayin in verse 16 uh, become reworked slightly in the liturgy of Yom Kippur, this becomes a great formula for vidui. Vayomer Yehuda, ma nomar ladoni, ma nidaber uma tadak, ha'elohim matza et avon avadecha hinenu, avadim laadoni, gama nachnu gama sher nimtza, hagavia biado. So um, what can we say 
to my Lord? How can we plead? How can we prove our innocence? Uh, this is after the cup uh, has been uh, has been found in Benjamin's sack. God has uncovered the crime of your servants. Here we are then, slaves of my Lord, referring to uh, to Yosef. The rest of us, as much as he in whose possession the goblet was found. So um, this, of course, isn't vidui, a confession for what they did to Yosef. Uh, It's a confession, actually, for something that they didn't do. It's taking uh, responsibility now that the goblet, the cup, was found in Benjamin's sack. Um, so it's a, a bit of a uh, a bit of a push or a bit of an imaginary uh, or symbolic stretch here. Uh, Sack sees in this some form of vidui, and uh, most importantly, what we have next uh, in uh, a little bit later in chapter forty four is shinui uh, maase is a change in behavior and. Uh, just read the pasuk, uh, verse thirty-three. Yeshev na avdecha tachat hanar eved la adoni vahanar yaal im echav ki ech eele elavi vahanar enenu iti pen ere vara asher yimsa etavi. So therefore, please let your servant remain as a slave to my lord instead of the boy. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father unless the boy is with me? Uh, this is Yehuda. This is Judah. Uh, and it's important that it's Judah because uh, he's the one that sold Yosef. And of course, with this, with this willingness of Judah to give up his own freedom and his own life, uh, for the sake of Benjamin, the brothers have proven that they are also not the same people, uh, that their teshuva is thorough. And with that, Yosef has to uh, go aside and cry at the beginning of the next parak. V'lo yachol Yosef lehitapek lechol hanitzavim alav. He can't control himself anymore. And... Uh, and he has all of his servants leave the room, uh, and then he reveals himself to his brothers. This, of course, connects with the classic notion of uh, teshuva gemurah, complete repentance. On the Mishneh Torah, uh, Rambam, Maimonides, writes, Ezahu teshuva gemurah, what is teshuva gemurah? Zeshabal liado davar sha'avarbo, the Fshar Biadola Asoto Ufeirash Velo Asa Mipneha Teshuva, one who had it in his power to repeat a violation, but separated himself or herself from it and did not do it because of repentance. Lomigira, uh, not out of fear, Velomikishlon Koach, and not out of uh, a lack of strength. So this is the situation that we have, that Judah and his brothers have proven themselves of having changed their behavior, just as Yosef so radically changed in the course of his own life. Sachs writes, forgiveness only exists in a culture 
in which repentance exists. Repentance presupposes that we are free and moral, morally responsible agents who are capable of change, specifically the change that comes about when we recognize what we have done is wrong and we are responsible for it and must never do it again. The possibility of that kind of moral transformation simply did not exist in ancient Greece or any other pagan culture. Um, so he goes on to say forgiveness is not just one idea among many. It transformed the human situation. And this brings us back to the beginning. And I think in a certain way ties together this notion of free will versus God's providence the question of the ability of people to change and the centrality of forgiveness. From the perspective of one who has done wrong, there needs to be a very strong sense of free will. It's that sense of free will that enables a person to take responsibility for the wrongs they have done. But from the perspective of the one who was wronged, that person, in order to forgive, needs to be able to see a wider, grander narrative in their suffering that came as a result of someone else's actions. From the perspective of the one who has done wrong, they need a strong sense of free will. From the perspective of the one who was wronged, that person needs to be able to see a wider, grander narrative in their suffering that came as a result of others' actions. Joseph is able to hold both of these ideas. And that might be why in rabbinic tradition, he is known as Yosef HaTzadik, Joseph the Tzadik, Joseph the Righteous One. He's able to have both the perspective of having free will and the ability to change and understanding and seeing in his brothers their change and realizing his own change, that strong sense of free will. And also, is able to see this wider, bigger narrative that makes sense of the suffering that he experienced. How we do that dance, how we balance these two seemingly contradictory perspectives may in fact be the key to living the good life and the righteous life. Thank you, Rabbi Morris. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardis from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.